Hi everyone, welcome to the All Inclusive Podcast, where each week I chat with industry experts and diversity, equity, inclusion executives from the world's leading global brands who share their knowledge, experience and actual takeaways to help inclusive employers create cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. Today I'm joined by Jesse Spellman, Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Walmart. Hi Jesse, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Natasha. It's great to be here. Let us kick things off by just telling our listeners a little bit about you and your journey to where you are today. Sure. Uh, so my name is Jessie. My pronouns are she, her. I like to start at the very beginning um, because I think when you see these three little letters next to a person's name, um, it's really important to understand what brought them to this to this work. Um, so I am white and I grew up in a white neighborhood like most Americans um, who grew up here. And I was really ignorant and naive about race uh, my entire upbringing um, in part due to the uh, homogeneity of my hometown and in part due to the real lack of like a comprehensive uh, history curriculum um, in my public school. Uh, so when I got to college in Philadelphia, I realized Martin Luther King did not fix all of America's problems like I had been taught. And I decided to really study this uh, phenomenon um, full time, the phenomenon being um, systemic racism and other systems of oppression. Um, I started out as a as a public school teacher. Uh, I loved working with students and it was my time spent in Philadelphia public schools that um, really um, opened my eyes to the vast uh, inequity that is all around us in, in this country and around the world. Um, and <laughs> my first two years in the classroom, I realized two things. One, uh, uh, rightly or wrongly, this environment was probably not the one where I was going to learn the skills that I needed to enact change on the scale that I was hoping to. And number two, this wasn't the best use of the unearned advantages of my identity. Um, as a cis, straight, white woman, um, I have the access and the uh, I make people comfortable in, in ways that I think um, are really powerful. And I know that uh, people will listen, people will listen to me um, by nature of those unearned advantages of my identity. Um, where I was teaching, 100% of my students were black, and 90% of the teachers were white women like me. Uh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it wasn't my place. Um, I, I, I wasn't from the community that I was teaching in. I didn't live in the community that I was teaching in. Um, I was. I was really a cultural tourist, and so I started to reflect on where are the spheres of real power and influence where I can enact um, large scale change, and. Uh, that was corporate America. <laughs> so I uh, made a pretty big pivot to working at um, Bain and Company. Um, and I learned so much about organizational effectiveness, transformational leadership, and telling stories through data. I learned a lot during that during that time. Um, but I remained uh, passionate and steadfast on my ultimate goal, which is that of dismantling the systems of oppression um, that that holds so many people back. Um, Fast forward, I got an MBA and I went back to Bain and then I was asked to lead the inclusion roadmap. They added this word inclusion to the work that they were doing. Um, so I took a step away from my client facing work and leaned into the work that I um, had studied academically and was really passionate about. Um, and 
over time, um, things changed. Um, I, I started to examine more critically uh, the revenue structure of a professional services organization. And what I mean by that is when you are a B2B organization, your business culture is inevitably going to be permeated by the businesses and the clients that you're serving. So while I was proud of some of the work that was going on at Bain, when um, Bainies went to certain client sites, there wasn't the same culture of inclusion. Um, and I also frankly disagreed with some of our DEI leadership's approach to these topics. Um, I did not think Walmart is where I would end up next, to be honest, <laughs> but um, I met the person who hired me and um, she was building out the DEI team in the talent function, the talent center of excellence at Walmart and asked me to join and lead the team. And I've been there now for a little over a year. Oh, fantastic. That sounds like a great journey. Um, so for you, as you said, you said your goal is to dismantle the oppression that is stopping our demographic and us ethnic minorities in being able to, to really thrive within the workplace. Why is that your goal? It's just the right thing to do. It, it's, it's the right thing to do, first and foremost. Um, and secondly, um, it's holding all of us back. These, these interlocking systems of oppression of um, whether they be, they be gender roles or they be um, the, the pedigree that you're meant to have to get a job in corporate America, they are really limiting. And I really believe, it's not even about what I believe, all of the empirical evidence is there that shows DEI contributes to the bottom line. We're creating a false choice between a more inclusive world and a more profitable one. I do not believe that we have to make that choice. I really believe that by investing and celebrating everybody's diversity and uniqueness, and recognizing and having an honest reckoning with the with our with our history, um, and I'm speaking from an American perspective because I'm an American, but this obviously permeates the world. Um, I'm I'm not I'm well aware of America's influence around the globe, as well as how how different we are from a lot of other countries. It's just we we got to wake up. We got to wake up. It's 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 we we can't wait any longer. Yeah, and I think the the recent events that happened during COVID with George Floyd um, really shook the whole entire world and, and it, it definitely shook up America. And I, I totally agree. I think now is the time, if any, to start making some real headway and some real change. And I think there's there's a lot of work that's being done. And, and for you, for, as we, we just spoke about in terms of like kind of like looking at what, what we've been doing in the past, what do you think needs to happen now so that we don't repeat those past mistakes? Something that America has not done is have an honest reckoning with our history. What Germany has done as an example, and the way that Germany remembers the millions of people who were murdered based on their identity, and the way that Germany talks about its, its, its Nazi history, and reckons with it openly and honestly is antithetical to the American approach right now. There is a tremendous movement in this country for, towards revisionist history, where we, because we are embarrassed or we don't want to admit it or we don't want to reckon honestly with our history, we omit parts of it and we use euphemisms to describe what actually happened and, and, and how America was born. We say that we are a country 
country born on freedom. We are a country born on enslaving other human beings based on the color of their skin and using that as justification for that continued enslavement to benefit the economy. That is our honest history. This is not to make anybody feel ashamed or to make anybody feel bad. This is to have an honest reckoning with what has happened so that we can rebuild and move forward. Unless you are able to clearly articulate the problem, we are not going to move forward. And this is so important to talk about in American politics right now because of the wave of domestic terrorism that we are facing by white nationalists and white supremacists who are using what has become mainstream media to justify their violence, their murder. And that violence and murder, as we've seen in the U.S., there was a murderous rampage at a Taiwanese church, and there was a murderous rampage at a Black grocery store. And these are all directly linked to what half of our political makeup is 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 pontificating about on the news. These falsehoods about, about how this country came about. We need to be honest. We need to look our history square in the face, and we need to talk about it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, I mean, I'm from the UK and so our history is, is, is going to be different from, from America, but it's not completely, it's not too far, far different at all either. Um, and we too, I don't believe really share enough about our actual history. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a common thing in terms of when you're, when you're wanting to make a change we always say and with organizations and, and from other leaders that I've spoken to when they're coming into to wanting to change an organization to to change its culture to be more inclusive you've got to first figure out where you're at where you've come from how you've gotten there what's what's the root cause of the problem to then be able to work out the best way to approach it and to to, to solve it and to make that change and as a country I completely agree if you don't really understand how have we even got here how did we get this far from just being normal human beings and valuing life above all else not because oh you're white and I'm black or she's she says she's a woman and actually no she she wants to 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 um be in love with someone of the same sex that shouldn't be a problem we should all be able to to be who our true selves um and I I totally agree I don't so I'm going off on a tangent, but yeah. No, it's, it's great. I, I mean, the it's best, the best piece of it, I got married recently. Oh, and yeah. The, Congratulations. And the best, thank you. Um, and the best advice that I think we got was remember that, you know, it's never you versus him. It's the both of you versus the problem you're facing. And so we have to, in the greater public sphere, and by the way, DEI is inherently political. Martin Luther King was a very political person, and he was murdered, a lot of people think, by the United States government, but we won't go there, um, because of his political activity, right? So, and he was held as a political prisoner in American prisons, and he was, his right to assemble and to protest, his First Amendment rights were extremely curtailed, and he was imprisoned for that. This is political work. Advocating for human rights is inherently political work. And we have to remember, this is not Republican versus Democrat here in the U.S. or the Labor Party versus the other parties in, in other parts of the world. This is truly um, a battle for how are we going to continue to live together? We, we're not, we're all, it's all together. It needs to be 
us versus the problems of poverty, us versus the problems of racism, us versus these problems that are just climate change, these problems that, that we as, as humanity need to invest in. So sorry, I'll pivot, I'll pivot back to DEI and how this is all related. In my day-to-day, it, it, it's really critically about how do we ensure that we are treating people how they want to be treated. And I'll say that again. It's not how you want to be treated. It's treating, it's the platinum rule. So the golden rule is treat others how you want to be treated. The platinum rule is treat others how they want to be treated. And you do that by engaging in a honest, curious conversation with everybody you meet, and that you are always willing to take somebody else's perspective. And I think it's this element of perspective taking that we all need to make. I am from New York. I do a terrible job of taking the perspective of people who live in the southeast of my country, states like Alabama and Mississippi, states I've never been to. I need to do a much better job of putting myself in their shoes and vice versa. We all need to do a better job of that. And I really think that that's where DEI starts. Yeah, no, totally. And how how do you go about doing that? What would you say is one of the key steps to, to take to, to do that? It's really hard, um, especially in a in a country that's really segregated and where we live and work in in, in, in silos. Um, but I think the number one thing is just diversify your media. Think about where you're getting your news from. Think about where you're reading. I love to read. So I try always try to read novels um, from people of all different backgrounds. Um, the people that I follow on social media on Instagram, on Twitter, trying to get just lots of different perspectives. Um, Even when those perspectives sometimes upset me, it's really important to understand everyone's perspective because you need, we need to engage in in, in dialogue, I think ultimately to make a difference. Um, And so, you know, I, I, it's hard for me not to um, begin talking about all of these societal implications of these things, um, especially with the the attack on on women's rights as well um, here in the U.S. Um, because I really think that there is a straight line to the leaderships, the, the far right leadership styles of what's going on in Europe as well. Um, the the president of Hungary is hosting um, the American Conservative Party in his country, and American conservatives are looking to him, who is a pretty professed white nationalist, as an example of, of political discourse that we should be engaging in. That should make us all alarmed, including white people. That is not the country that we want to live in. That's not the place that we want to live in. I don't know about you, but I was holding my breath when um at how close Marine Le Pen came um to to winning that election in France um and so we really we really have to remember that the world is changing very fast and the old guard is seeing everything that they have known in their world I'm putting myself in their perspective it's changing really really rapidly and so I understand that human desire to to hold on and, and, and and to really hunker down but I think that we really need to talk about this. We need to call it what it is, which is um, a dangerous form of white supremacy and a dangerous form of terrorism that is terrorizing people, not only in the US, but around the world. I completely agree. It's refreshing and it's great to hear from somebody who is passionate on this because I think we need more passionate people. Um, and and that's where it starts. The conversation starts. And as you said, you just need to, to diversify where it is that you're getting your material from, the media that, that you're 
that you're getting all of this information from. Um, and it feeds through into those discussions which people talk about in terms of finding the right talent. Um, if you're only going to outlets that only cater to people that are graduates or that are go to a particular university, which is which is historically known for only really letting in all white people, you're only then ever going to get talent that is going to, to fit a certain box. Um, so in order to, to be able to diversify, you need to go elsewhere. You need to look elsewhere. You're working at the moment with Walmart and um, within their talent department. What is one of the projects that you're you're doing currently now that you're really excited about? Walmart is making really important, and by the way, all of the views are mine, not the views of the company I work for. Um, but uh, I sit, so one of the things that I say all the time at, at Walmart and, and, and beyond, and I think it's really important to, again, reframe this conversation. If you have a homogenous team, and if you have made a homogenous hires all year, meaning everybody's the same, and I use that word on purpose because I think that it's really important that our work is always data-driven. Um, the data tends to show that it tends to be white men who make up the majority, but that's not always true. And so it's mm. really important that we are data-driven. Um, so if your team has people that are all the same, homogenous, you haven't hired the best people. You haven't hired the best people. Because talent is everywhere. I think we would all agree with that. We would all agree that talent can come from anywhere. And so if you have found five people on your team that have come from all the same places, you haven't found the best of the best. You've actually stuck to the status quo. So starting with that, like reframing it, instead of saying, oh, how do I get that one person from this background or that one person from that background or that one person who identifies this way, instead reframing it to think, how can I actually be seeking out the best, most diverse and most innovative thinking styles? Also knowing that with the rate of change that we're experiencing at work, how are we also assessing folks' potential to do the job really well and not just their past experiences? So one of the one of the many things that we are working on, um, and I'll start sort of at our broad strategic um, company wide view, and then I'll go to one of the specific projects that I'm supporting. But it's the transition to a skills first basis for hiring. So assessing a person for their skills, their abilities, and their potential to do the job instead of their pedigree and their credentials. I went to Penn. It is a Ivy League institution. I get way more credit than I deserve because of that school that I went to. Without people really analyzing or assessing what the skills are that I have to contribute to a role. Not to mention that when I went to Penn, it was like 30% legacy, meaning like 30% of the people who went there, um, the fact that their parents went there was a factor in considering them for admission. Um, so we should also be thinking about that, especially when we're thinking about skills. What are the skills that people provide? We also know that women and people of color and particularly women of color are less likely to enumerate all of their skills and experiences in ways that employers can often resonate with. So we also know that not only do we need to reassess how we're, how we're evaluating skills, we also need to provide folks in the market, talent in the market, with the right resources and training to make those skills stand out to people that are looking for talent. So while we have all of these broad scale initiatives that are going on um, internally, one of the partnerships that my team oversees is a partnership with an organization called 110. And their mission is to hire 1 million Black Americans without college degrees into family sustaining jobs over 10 years. 
1 million 10 years. This has been an amazing partnership. It's a consortium of about 60 companies. And the amazing thing is, it's a really great example of how um, an increased competition can make things better. It doesn't necessarily mean that it gets ruthless. We all are working together to determine the right ways to select, attract, retain, and advance Black talent. I also want to talk um, really quickly about something as it relates to this specific initiative with Black talent. Um, so we are making huge strides. It's a really public partnership. We've contributed um, nearly 25% of the overarching um, hires for the organization and 33% of the promotions. Um, and this is focused just on, on, on Black and African-American talent. And I think that's okay. And the reason I think that's okay is because when you solve for the most excluded groups, everybody ends up feeling more included. And you don't have to take my word for it. There's a ton of empirical evidence for this as well. There's something called the curb cut effect, which has to do with the Americans with Disabilities Act that was passed in the 1970s. And if you come into the US, um, I think it's, I've only been to London in the UK, so I'm not, I'm not sure if this is all over London. I mean, all over the UK, but there are those little cuts in the curb in the sidewalk, those little dips enter into the road. And when those were mandated in the US in the 70s, it was only for people who used wheelchairs. That was how the design, that was who lobbied for the bill and that was how it got passed. Everybody uses them. Either you're in a stroller as a baby or you're pushing a stroller as a parent or you are older and you're using a cane or a walker or you're hopping on your bike and you're, and you're running errands on your bike. Um, any, or you're wearing high heels. Whatever the case might be, everybody uses that. And that's the curb cut effect. You design an intervention for a group that has been the most excluded and it benefits everybody. Another American example that I love is Sesame Street. I don't know if you've ever seen this children's television program. Yes. It was designed for black children. It was designed for black children living in the city. It was a very explicit and targeted group that was this solution was designed for. And um, you see, I don't know if you've seen it, it's still one of the top rated programs and it has helped all children learn their ABCs and learn how to read. So when we actually design for the people who are most excluded, we include everybody even better. Like, have you faced any challenges? The hardest thing at a company of our size is operationalizing the strategy and actually executing it across the business. So um, I made things political, but they don't have to be. <laughs> they, they really don't have to be political. Um, and so many things aren't political. Um, every person I've met and I've spoken to when I say we want to improve the diversity of the talent pool, everybody's on board. Nobody, nobody, nobody says no. I don't want more diversity. Um, when we say we want everybody to feel like they can bring their whole selves to work, nobody says, no, I want to make sure that so-and-so feels badly for how they show up at work. Um, and that's also sort of ingrained in our company's founding. Um, so Sam Walton was a, was a family man and he was a very humble person. And it was really important for him that everybody felt respected and everybody felt like they could bring their whole selves to work. It's one of our core values, respect for the individual. And our CEO is a really outspoken and vocal leader as well as our CHRO and the other executives that I've had the pleasure of, of meeting. I've been really impressed by their courageous leadership. but. As you can imagine, um, so I said in the talent function, so a lot of what I do is, is with um, our hiring practices, 
when we are as big as we are and trying to scale at this at, at the stage that we're trying to scale and you're probably thinking wait like you have 220 million unique customers a week and 5,000 stores. What do you mean you're trying to scale? Um, we are trying to scale to meet the demands of the new consumer who is not only shopping in our stores. And so how do we um, reinvent our inventory management and our supply chain to bring people the products and services that they need when they need them? There's a lot of um, agility that's required to, to get there. And so we are hiring really quickly. And when you are hiring really quickly, um, it's, it's, it's easy to forget all of the work that's required in ensuring diverse outcomes and ensuring equitable outcomes and ensuring inclusive outcomes. So I think the, the hearts and mind battle, so to speak, um, I would say again, I haven't met a person who thinks that diversity at work is a bad thing. And I recognize that that's probably my own bias and, and all those things, but I haven't met somebody who says, no, I don't want everyone to feel comfortable at work. I think we're all working towards the same things. It's just about how to get there. The, um, the, the, the commitment is there and as well as the investment, um, whether it's in my team or the other center of excellence focused on culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and the continued expansion of our work with universities in the U.S. and other um, alternative pathways to getting into work, whether it's like um, technical boot camps or even um, government apprenticeships, um, we are really um, making a lot of a lot of progress. And I'm and I'm I'm really I'm re I'm really proud of Walmart. Oh, great! That's great to hear. Um. So I'm going to, we've, we've talked about that, what you're really proud of with Walmart. What has been, what have you done that, that for you has been your, your proudest moment? At Walmart? I mean, in, in your whole journey, really. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be at Walmart. Uh, my proudest moment is that, so I went to, um, I went to Penn for undergrad and then I also have a graduate degree from Penn in education. And then it's the only good thing. It's a good school because it's the only school that will let me in. Um, but then I also have a MBA from Wharton. And um, I think I mentioned I spent time as a middle school math teacher. Um, and one of my students, Harold Anderson, just graduated from Wharton this year. Oh, and that so, is so lovely. That is what I'm most proud of is Harold. Oh. <laughs> No, that's, yeah. I, I think being a teacher is, it, it must be the most rewarding when you see the students, your students succeed. Um, and even though you're probably only with them for such a short period, sometimes depending on, on, on what age group you're teaching, but to then hear about where they then ended up kind of three, four years, five years later, um, it must be a, a really, really big achievement. And, and yeah, I can, I can only imagine um it being proud so that's that's really nice that was flattering that you said uh, only three four five years it was many more years than that but, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it it's it's it is amazing it is amazing and um and I'm I'm also so proud of him uh he took a full-time role in corporate social responsibility um so he he's also a um a real believer in um how much good um companies can really do yeah oh fantastic that's great another one to the list yeah <laughs> creating creating the change that's great yeah. moving the dial um what has been so we're going to take it to the end the other end of the spectrum yeah. what's been your most challenging so far 
as you could probably tell, I am impatient and I am constantly thinking about things on an unmanageable scale. So sometimes it is difficult for me to stop and take stock of some of the really amazing things that we've done because I don't think it's enough. So, you know, some of the amazing things that we've done so far are we've seen double digit growth in the number of people um, from historic, I say historically excluded, from historically excluded backgrounds um, who have applied and got hired at Walmart. We've seen double digit growth um, for Black and Latino women um, over the past year. Like that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, we have seen, um, I mentioned some of the accomplishments with, with 110. We have um, revamped our equal employment opportunity statement um, to make sure that it was even more inclusive and recognized even more identities. We have gotten a hold and a handle on all of the rich um, data that we have. And we've, we've gotten into a really great reporting cadence with our business partners in a way that we are able to glean um, not only what the numbers say, but like what to do about those numbers. Um, so we've, we've made, we've made a lot of progress. Um, and just because there's, there's more, there's more to do. Um, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but it, it definitely, um, sometimes I wish we could do, we could do more and we could do it faster. Yeah, no, I, that's one of those things that I think everybody feels like they just want everything to happen now and quickly. Um, yes. So what advice would you give to leaders who feel the same as you that have that same challenge? Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, something that my, one of my mentees actually shared with me. Um, and so she works in DEI and I was paired with her through a venture capital firm who um, set up and she, she sent this to me the other day and she says that she reads it often um, and, and it really helped me. So I hope, I hope it helps. Um, so I'm, it, there's a, there's a long, it's very, very long. So I'll try to cut it short. Um, to do this work as a transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming person is exhausting. To do this work as a black person or person of color is exhausting. To do this work as a person who is deeply feeling and empathic is exhausting. Trying to get people to care about things they should inherently care about is exhausting. You're not broken, the systems are broken, and you're not a bad person. Many well-intentioned people just have yet to make hard choices about who they wanna be. No matter what, you deserve peace and joy, and peace and joy is the real revolution. It will topple these broken systems. Be kind to yourself. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true though, isn't it? Um, it is. And it's one of the toughest things as well, I find, is, is to be kind to yourself. Um, and when you do feel exhausted. And I think sometimes, I think maybe I say this for, as a woman and, and a mother, um in particular uh, and 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 I, I feel from from the culture that I've come from the background that I've come from as a black woman we tend to always feel like we have to have this strength and we have to put on 
the battle armor and kind of push through any sort of difficulties that we're facing and and always kind of look forward and not back um but there comes a point where actually a lot of of that takes a toll and sometimes those those bricks are just too heavy to hold um so i think yeah that that message i can totally see why why that would be so powerful for someone to have a read and it, like I'm going to ask you to send me that to me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'll I send it to you. it's definitely something that I like for me would be great as well because sometimes you just need a reminder to yourself every now and again to be like actually you know what you're amazing what you've done is amazing give yourself a high five have a glass of Prosecco if you drink exactly I do. <laughs> I do and too. just chill out. And, I, and that's so inclusive, right? If you drink, like that's such a great example of how you can just for a minute, take yourself out of your perspective and remember just because you love something doesn't mean other people do. And that's okay. You can still be friends. You can oh, yeah, still hang totally. out. You can still have fun. It's all, it's all good. Yeah, no, totally. Um, that's, that's some great advice. Thank you so much, Jesse. Yeah, um, well, it's not, I should say it is a post by a man named, I actually, I'm assuming they're a man. I don't know their pronouns. It's a post by Nick Alm. And um, the post was sent to me by my mentee, Brooke Graham. So oh, I just want credit that. Brooke. Yeah, Thanks, Brooke's the no. best. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that actually moves me on to actually um, my next question for you. It, it's one of the questions that I ask a, a lot of the leaders that come on the show. Um, how do you find the balance between work and life? You have to figure out your own boundaries, whatever that, and 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 you also have to, again, give yourself a break when you inevitably cross them. So I think there's really, it's, it's really about, um, again, being kind to yourself. Um, for me, what I know is that if I am not, um, taking the time, I really love food and I really love eating and I really love cooking. So if I don't take the time to like prepare myself meals. I work from home, um, prepare myself meals. If I don't take time to move my body that day, whether it's some quick yoga or going for a walk, if I don't, if I don't, um, take time to, to sleep. And these are all really basic things that I know not everybody honors for themselves. Um, my work will suffer. More hours do not mean better work. And um, there, when I look at the enormity of the task of, of most of us in our jobs, but I think particularly DEI practitioners, because we're also fighting all these isms and all this stuff, um, you know, the work isn't going anywhere. It's still going to be there tomorrow. And, and you have to just check in with yourself. Um, there are all these checklists on, on burnout. Um, and if, if you're checking every box, um, your, your body, your body keeps the score, um, and, and, and it's going to impact you. So I, I don't, I don't really think it's a, it's an option. I think that you, you, you have to do the things that will make you feel whole, um, because it will also make you better at your job. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the, the old, old saying quality over quantity, yes. um, 
and that that's the winning that's the winning one really isn't it I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today thank you so much for joining um so just before you leave us what is your parting piece of advice that you would like to give to DEI leaders of tomorrow oh my gosh uh remember when they attack any of us they attack all of us And all that, all that is to say, I think we all have one issue or cause or whatever that we, that we identify with for whatever reason, and that's human and that's okay. But um, it's really important to um, understand and remember the dignity of all, um, of all of us, like I said, um, because when any group of people is attacked um, for their identity, whether it's in your home country or in another country, um, that is an attack on humanity. Um, and I, I know it's a, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit cheesy. And I think, but I think, you know, if, if you are a person of faith or a spiritual person, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, and, um, I, I just, I just believe that we are, we are all, uh, we are all waves. So we are all different and unique and our time on this earth is, is, is um long or short and we're we're really tall or we're really small um but no matter what we're all part of the same stuff which is the ocean <laughs> and so um our uh we are all connected and um i think that we have to get back to that place where we all feel that and and, and believe that and part of that is um you know standing up to anywhere you see injustice that's great Jesse thank you you so much for that parting piece of advice it's it's really powerful those are powerful words there um and how can our listeners connect with you oh I would love to meet to meet people talk to people um especially people who don't agree with me um that's always a great way to learn um my uh LinkedIn would be the best place I think so just Jesse Spellman um I work at Walmart you'll find me on LinkedIn fantastic well once again jesse thank you so much for joining us today and all the best for the future thank you so much natasha thanks for having me